All right, everybody, welcome to the 294th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling live and direct, about to talk about these Ohio State prospects, and I'm pretty excited. As you uh, told me, there's about eight more Fridays to the actual draft, so this this uh, this series that we were really excited about, it's it's ending sooner than we thought, which is a good and bad thing because uh, the the real deal draft is made more uh, fun than us projecting players. So I'm very much excited about it. But uh, what did you think about Malachi Branham? Yeah, Malachi Branham, let's get into a little bit of the bio before we start breaking down the game. Ohio State University shooting guard stands 6'5", weighs 180, uh, 18 years old, uh, will be 19 at the time of the draft. His birthday is uh, on May 12th uh, from Columbus, Ohio, attended St. Vincent, St. Mary's High School. If that sounds familiar, it should. That is the high school of the one and only LeBron James. Uh, Malachi was named Ohio's Mr. Basketball in 2021, rated as a four-star recruit by rivals and the number 44 player overall. Um The accolades this year for Malachi, he was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, was all Big Ten third team. Uh, He really came on as of late. He was a slow starter adapting to the the collegiate game and then kind of came on like gangbusters over the last third uh, of the season. He scored in double figures in Ohio State's final 11 games. He only hit double figures eight times previously. So there was a 32-game season, and he only hit double figures 19 total times, and 11 of those were the final 11 games. So if that doesn't tell you uh, that he wasn't on one towards the end of the season, then I I don't know what what does. Uh, But he really carried that Ohio State team into the NCAA tournament. Uh, On the season, averaged 13.7 points, uh, shot 49.8% from the field, 41.2 from three, 41.6 from three, excuse me, uh, 83.3% from the line, grabbed 3.6 rebounds, handed out two assists, uh, 0.7 steals, 0.3 blocks, did all of that in 29.6 minutes of action. Uh, At the moment, uh, he is a bit of a fast riser on the mock drafts. I've seen him anywhere from 10 to the end of the first round. Uh, The ringer, Uh, currently has him number 21 on their big board. Uh, So what I would say is what jumps out at me most was how comfortable he was handling the basketball. He he almost gets down in this, this crouch um, when he's driving the ball and and he protects it. And and he just, he's, he has a, a poise about him. He's not a, a finished product by, by any stretch of the means, but I really felt like he used his, his big frame and allowed him to finish uh, with contact at the rim. To me, he looks bigger on tape than than 6'5". I, I don't know what, what it is. Maybe he's going to measure out with, with a longer wingspan, but it seems like he played bigger than 6'5". Uh, so th- that's really what, what stood out to me. It was like, oh, this is a big guard. You know, usually what we're used to talking about you know, we're kind of, I don't know if we're coming out of the era of the combo guard, but that's been the flavor of, of the month for, for quite some time is that that 6'2 to 6'4 combo guard that can kind of do both things. 
we've got a few big guards in this draft class. And I think Malachi Branham is, is one of those. When you're scouting an individual player, you're trying to look at like the patterns of what they do on the court. To me, the number one thing he did was that pull up from mid range. Like when he was, when he wasn't he's a, a master of, of the mid range in this draft class. Yeah, sure. he, I, I, and it, it's not it's not like a catch and shoot. It's a it's a dribble pull up, which means like when when you think of elite guards, that dribble pull up game is is legit. If he can push that back to be a three point shot, I think that makes his game a lot a lot better. But when he was bad, he was doing the pull-up shot. When he was good, he was doing the pull-up shot and making it. Like, that was his bread and butter when he was playing against Duke or uh, the first Indiana game. Like, that was the, the thing that stuck out was, oh, he's going to he's gonna do his little dribble craft, which I think his handle could be tighter. It definitely could be tighter. I, in the Duke game that I watched, he got stripped in transition by uh, Paulo Banchero, and normally I don't like to, you know, make a big deal out of one thing, but we know Paulo wasn't playing defense at all this year. So that was a little worrisome, but it's that pull-up. I mean, I believe that at least the pull-up part of his game is real. It's sustainable. It will be a, uh, a factor in his game. I think that the number he has to shoot, he has to shoot it, shoot it to uh, hit in this, uh, in this league. But if he can shoot it, shoot it, and then, when they close out on him, do that pull up. I think that's where his game, that's where all of the strengths come in is off that close out. Like if he's playing with Damian Lillard, he's going to attract so much, pass it to Malachi, he'll take that one dribble pull up and it, it's greens. Yeah, I, I would say back to his handle, that, that's not surprising that he was getting ripped by Paolo early on in the year. It just, it seemed like it took him a while to get his footing and make that transition from high school to uh, college, in particular the Big Ten, which was arguably the best conference in, in all of the land. Um, I liked what I saw later on, especially in the pick and roll. I felt like he was patient he did that Chris Paul tendency where he's able to keep the primary defender at his back while not allowing the role defender to yeah, really make that. Yeah. Like that gets them in, in that crab and he doesn't allow that role defender to decide on a course of action. So he, he freezes that, that role defender just long enough. And I think as he gets more practice with that, you could see some secondary playmaker tendencies start to flourish with him you know, year two, year three in, in the league. Like, again, he is by far from a finished product, but if you're projecting, which is what you have to do uh, in the NBA draft, because very few players come in young and already developed, you have to really look at what they're doing now and say, yeah, that's going to translate. Yeah, we can mold him into this certain type of, of player. So I, I really like that. Again, he, he is a big guard. I think he's got good post-up potential too. Mm, definitely. We talked about that with Johnny Davis, you know, as a, a six, six guard, you know, we talked about, you know, Steve Smith, Bonzi Wells, Isaiah Ryder in terms of blazer, former guards who were just money on the block. That's a lost art. And if you're able to bring that back, you can really draw a lot of double teams and kick it out and make your teammates better. It just throws another level and layer at the defense to make them think, think most defenses right now aren't, trained to even think about a guard posting up but if you can get easy buckets you take that and you 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 can hunt 
Like what that allows you to do, allows you to go and hunt a matchup that you like. I mean, just remember what the Blazers did. Wesley Matthews was not a good post-up guard, but they wanted to hunt James Harden. So they put Wesley to start games on the block in that first round series, and he got got business. Mm. So it it can work. It is a bit of a lost art, but I I love the potential there. Uh, My main concern offensively, Sage, um, with him there's two things. One, I think there's a bit of an unorthodox jump shot. And oh, yeah. we, have, we have seen unorthodox jump shots work in the NBA, look no further than, than Sean Marion. Um, but the ball placement, it's a little bit out in front of his, his face. I, I want to know if he's going to be able to get that shot off at the NBA level where you've got bigger, faster, stronger defenders running at you. Uh, and then also, is the three-point shot, is it fool's gold or is it for real? Mm-hmm. because you're looking at a great three-point percentage, uh, 42% damn near, but he only had nine games. Again, 32 games total, only nine games. He attempted four plus threes. So are we looking at another Aaron uh, Nesmith case at Vandy when he was just bonkers but then got hurt and that didn't really uh, roll over into, into his NBA career, or is it going to be – uh, the sign of things to come for him where he's going to be an absolute dead eye from downtown. I feel like his game needs him to be a dead eye for all of the other craft that he does. One thing that I noticed was that he and EJ Liddell had a connection, especially late in the year with the pick and roll and then the, 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 the guard forward pick and roll and then the forward guard pick and roll. There were times where EJ just dotted him on a cut and it was some easy baskets. I mean, the shooting is going to be the most important thing for Malachi, but the fact that he can do other things to put the ball in the basket, his free th- he is going to go to the line a lot because he is a big guard and he can show his strength. And he's a good straight-line driver. Definitely. So I, I think that he's going to draw a lot of fouls as well. So, I, I, like, the dribble pull-ups and the foul uh, getting to the line, I think, are his two biggest calling cards – on the offensive end as of right now, as a uh, 18, 19 year old kid, but there are things that he can do that can really, um, really help an NBA team. Since there's only like 20 players in each draft class that actually hit, would you put Malachi Branham in your 20 that would, will most likely hit? That's a really good question. Thank you. I am tempted to say, yes, I like players who, finish the year strong and you can tell that there's a a developmental growth. There's something there. I don't know if I would, I wouldn't take him in the lottery. I've seen a couple of mock drafts having him top 10. I think there's too much development needed, but if you're a playoff contending team picking in the twenties and you can afford to play him eighth or ninth in your rotation and bring him along, Absolutely. If he goes to the right situation, like I don't think he's going to be a star by any stretch of the imagination, but if you can get a solid starter out of Malachi on, on a rookie scale contract, you, you take it and run, especially picking that late in the draft. I have a pretty good feeling that he is going to, to end up being a solid NBA player. I kind of feel like the nuggets or the, the bulls, that type of playoff team would be a good Raptors, obviously, because of their or the Heat. Those type of teams that are that are good anyways and just need somebody to play a role, I think would be the perfect spot for uh, Malachi to flourish. Um, I didn't really 
he didn't stand out bad or good defensively for me. So I have really no idea what he is as a defender right now. Um, do you have any insight on what he is as a defender? Cause it, it's just like, he didn't make any obvious mistakes. And the fact that EJ Liddell was down there to get his three shot blocks a game and erase some mistakes. Like it, it could have been on Malachi uh, letting something go by him. So I like, I, I have no, I have no hot takes on his defense. I just think, uh, we need to see more. And like, there really isn't that much film later in the year for Ohio state. So, you know, you, you watch certain games and it's like, he's not doing anything awful. He's not doing anything bad. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I mentioned the free throw shooting, the getting to the line and the pull up. I think, I think that is really uh, what Malachi is as a player at this level. So he, is he out of your lottery right now? Cause he's definitely, if Dyson Daniels is 14 or 15 for me, I don't think that he's anywhere near Dyson as of this this moment. No, he, he's out of the lottery, but I think he's easily a top 25 uh, draft pick for for me. And you're right about the the unknown of, of his defense because really watching him early on in the year, it, it seems like he's a completely different player. And nobody was really paying attention to Ohio State. Like we were you get so many games that you can watch a week and you're saying, okay, I'm going to watch Jaden Ivey in Purdue. Oh, Chet and Gonzaga are playing late at night. I can, I can catch that West coast game. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Duke was on TV at ad nauseum. Malachi Brandon was not su- su- supposed to be in this draft, right? He was not considered a, a one and done prospect. And he really came on late to make him a one and done prospect. So there wasn't any uh, real, desire or urgency to say, Oh, I've got to watch this Ohio state game. They've got this young freshman. It just, it wasn't there. And as you mentioned, all of the Ohio state full games, that's when he wasn't putting up his, his number. So unless you were able to catch him live or have access to all those clips, his defense is a a bit, a bit of an unknown right now. So um, it's really hard to evaluate him as, as an entire prospect, because if, if he is, the defender that Dyson Daniels is, he rises up the boards. But oh, he'd, he be, his, he'd be very high. But if he has his lapses like a Benedict Matherin, then you're probably looking about where he is right now, 20 to 25. So it really depends on what type of defender he can become. And, and I'm sure as we get closer to the draft, um, more tape will be made available and we can make a more accurate evaluation of him. Uh, Sage, what type of players would you would you compare him to? I know people are saying Chris Middleton, but I don't I don't believe that one. Um, That's the 99th, though. I feel like it. Reggie Bullock is his lowest. There we go. Reggie Bullock, I think, is his low low tier. I mean, but Reggie, like, let's be real, Reggie Bullock he made the New York Knicks life a lot easier being a guy that can hit threes and play some defense. So I, I feel like Malachi, if he, if the defense is just average, he could be like a, uh, shit. What was his name again? Reggie Bullock. <laughs> Reggie Bullock. Oh Lord. Hey man, I just spend, I just spend a lot of time with family today. So my brain is gone. Do you think that there's any chance that he goes back to college and, 
you know, is the is the lead guy on a Ohio State team for another year. Why? Why would you? If, Honestly, if he's not one of those. Like when we when we talk about our second round steals or whatever you wanted to call it, that's when we can have a discussion of returning back to school. But you know, if you got some sites projecting you to go in the lottery, there's already a chance. I'm not saying mock drafts are um, to be taken as gospel. But there's clearly some people out there who like him a lot more than others. If he can sneak into the back half of the lottery or even in the teens, you take that guaranteed money and run. Even if you're in the just a first round pick, like that's three to four years of guaranteed seven figure dollars. Mm-hmm. Like you take it. Why, why go back? Especially when your your forward uh, EJ Liddell is gone, and it's gonna your life's gonna be tougher at, at Ohio State, and that you're gonna have more of a spotlight on you. There's just there's more things that can go wrong than can go right, in my opinion. Um, Especially think, after this rise of like hype, you shouldn't yeah. you shouldn't go yeah. back to school. There are plenty of dudes that we will be talking about in the next few weeks. Absolutely need to go back to school. Uh, I would say the floor we I discussed him earlier. Aaron Nesmith just never really able to. Do you think he's more athletic than Aaron? Because Nesmith was not athletic. At, like he he was a trebuchet type of wing guy probably but i i think it all depends on that three-point shot so if the three-point shot yeah, is definitely. gold i see him has uh added the league in four years after his rookie contract middle of the road i think it's a will barton type of player where four or five starter not the position but level of starter he can get you a bucket he's uh aggressive and going to the the basket becomes a knockdown shooter, loves the pull-up. Um, both players are a little bit wiry in, in terms of uh, their, their length. So I, I envision him a little bit as a, a Will Barton. And if, if I'm saying pie in the sky, um, I could see like a 6'5 version of Chris Middleton slash DeMar DeRozan, somebody who just lives in the mid-range, uh, is just becomes – that type of player. I mean, it's clearly not dead. We saw DeMar DeRozan just now go for 40 points, becoming the fifth Chicago Bull ever to put up 40 points in a playoff win uh, in Milwaukee. And he was just, he is in that, that area of the floor is his and he knows what he's doing. Um, but again, that's the 99th uh, comp. So that's really uh, a narrow chance that that uh, comes to fruition. I think, I mean, I cheated. I absolutely cheated for this one and I wrote it down and didn't label the fact that I cheated, but I, I remember I did. I looked and saw what players were like the best comp towards them. So for the 75th Malik Beasley, it is, it, it's based on college statistics and what they did on the court. But you know, Malik, if he gets hot, he's gonna He could turn a game around for, for his team. So I don't think that it's, that wrong but it's not a creative uh take like you did with like jeremy show sochan and uh ak-47 i think my 99th is karis levert i think karis is like karis and i i i I put that in my notes i said he moves like karis and i saw what the ringer put him as karis i'm like no i thought of that before i I saw what the ringer had so i'm gonna give myself a point for that i I think i don't like the middleton comp i just think it's just too pie in the sky I feel like Karrison, he, if Malik uh, uh, Malachi can uh, get his dribbling right, I think it's more Karis Levert than Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton break, broke down 
defenders in the NBA finals when there was high leverage defenders on him. I agree. I don't that's think that's in the sky. Be- Chris Middle was a second round prospect, though. Like he be he worked to get to Chris Middleton. True. So true. that that's it's not like I don't know. In my mind, it's not like we're saying, oh, he's Brandon Roy. Brandon Roy came out out of the gate like rookie of the year. This guy's all NBA. Da, 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 da. Like Chris Middleton was like relatively unknown, got a little bit better, and then now Worked he's that, off. yeah, he's a champion and an all-star. Yeah. Um, and I believe he played on the Olympic team. So I think he did with Drew, yeah. Yeah. So yes, he did. Yeah. So that to me, it's like, oh, well, if Chris Middleton could work him up that way, then Malachi could. But yes, I, I think that is the ultimate um, level of, of achievement that. I mean, a Mal- healthy Karis Levert's helping, helping a playoff team. Yeah, for sure. I, I It's tough for me to like see those pie in the sky things like, yeah, he's this now, but in a few years he could be, but gotta have the vision, over, over there was re- like that was the 99th percentile of the things happening you know if life happens i you know I, I don't know if malachi is gonna do what chris middleton did with you know the gusto and just nobody knows skill. that's I, the beauty I, of it that nobody knows anybody who says that they know what they're talking about is full of shit we're all speculating there's nothing factual about talent evaluation so some people are more right than others there's nothing factual about it. it. That's why that's the beauty of it. We all can just, it's just speculation. Some people are better at it, but there's no, sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason. It's, it's kind of fun. All right, Sage, you want to talk about the next player on Ohio state? Yes. Let's see if I actually wrote notes. I think I might've like, you know, uh, well, let me get into the little bit of the background of the Okay, player. yeah, I don't have the background whatsoever. We're looking at EJ Liddell, a 21-year-old prospect uh, from Ohio State. He is a forward uh, standing at 6'7", uh, wingspan 6'11", 240 pounds from Belleville, Illinois. He was a four-star prospect by rivals in the class of 2019, the number 41 player overall nationally. Um, He was first team all Big Ten in 2021 and this year in 2022 um, for the season, put up 19.4 points, did that on 49% from the field, 76.5% from the line, 37.4% from downtown, pulled down 7.9 boards. Uh, had two and a half assists, 2.6 blocks. Uh, pretty impressive number there, especially in a collegiate game. Uh, 0.6 steals. Uh, did all of the damage in 33.2 minutes and had a player efficiency rating of 30.5. One of the few prospects that we have evaluated that had a player efficiency rating of over 30 uh, at the moment. He is the number 20 player on the Ringers draft Big board. Sage, what, what jumped out at you uh, when you first watched uh, EJ? Well, I was, I've been familiar with EJ for a little while because, uh, you know, he is a junior. I remember him not being able to shoot well. Like I, I in my notes, it said that he was like an 18% three-point shooter as a sophomore. And the jump from his sophomore to his junior year just shows a lot of improvement the NBA told him that he needs to shoot better and he went out and proved it. 
he is kind of like this flat ball shooter, but the shit goes in. So it, I feel like his aim is just top notch as a shooter right now. Really, the shooting is the biggest part um, of the the offense. Like he's going to be a pick and pop guy in the next level. Definitely going to uh, just show his intelligence. Like when you watch EJ Liddell, you see a guy that oh he knows where to be and where to put his body and how to get him or Malachi Branham that open space to launch a three or get to the lane. Here's something I want to ask you: when you see a player that does really good passing, but it's in the post spot about 50% of the time. And then at the top of the key, what translates from that type of post entry passing to the NBA, or is that skill just not transferred at all as a playmaker in the next level? Cause I think that he is a good passer, but location wise, it was in the paint quite a bit, but like, what can you like, can you take that away and make him, a good passer in general, even though location wise, it was in the post, but like when doubles happened, he was a willing passer and got the ball to the person for it, like in their, uh, in their good spot to launch. So what, what do you think about the passing like of, of a player that's mostly a post guy? I mean, that's kind of the, the million dollar question when we're evaluating these undersized post prospects, whether it was Caleb Swanigan in 2017, Travion Williams at Purdue currently, or, you know, EJ Liddell, both willing passers out of the post. Um, I think a lot of it is a comfort. They're comfortable with the, their back to the basket. They're, they're stationary for the most part. Uh, the game slows down for them at that, at that particular uh, part of the floor. There's a, a familiarity with it. And so the question is, can you, can you take that and make them a Draymond green type of distributor where they're getting the ball in the middle of the floor and they have to go almost like a quarterback is use your one option opens your two option open. Okay. Then you got to move to your third read. Like, can you make those split second decisions? Um, I don't know if there is a great correlation there because I, I haven't seen it. Um, I don't. There's only on one Draymond, too. Yeah, there's only one Draymond, and then if you want to go to centers, it works for seven feet centers who are able to score with their back to the basket because you're actually going to be running action for them down low. Uh, Joel Embiid, uh, Nikola Jokic. You want to go back to the 2000s? Arvita Sabonis, Vladi Divac, uh, back to 77. Bill Walton. So when it was a primary function of an offense to dip the ball down low. <clears throat> It worked because it was unstoppable. If you throw the double, you know, the Houston Rockets won a championship based upon Akeem Olajuwon being unstoppable in the post, double teaming him and spreading the floor out with shooters. And he would just find the open guy. Nobody is going to be sending a double team for a six, seven. Yeah, no one's doing that for EJ. So the fact that he's good at passing out of the post, I think it's something that's noteworthy, but I don't think it's anything you can really bank on because it, it may happen once every five games that he gets an offensive rebound and somehow uh, a double team collapses around him after uh, a missed ba- a missed uh, shot. And then he's able to, to find a, a pass. So like off of a second, off of a secondary offensive set is where I'm saying I could see it happen. Um, I didn't see enough with him as a pick and roll where he's able to be that distributor. Like, he, like you he mentioned, I saw a lot of pick and pop, which is great, but I would just need to see more. Like, I think it's, it's, it's different being a playmaker versus being able to pass out of a double team. There's just something that mm. um, makes it 
so much more of a valuable skill set. And then if you want to even flip it and say, okay, you're great at passing out of a double team. Can we run high-low action with you? Teams just aren't utilizing two bigs on the court as much. I know the Cavs are going that way a little bit, but you don't generally see two bigs and they're definitely not running high-low action in, in today's NBA because, again, who are you dumping the ball into? There's two NBA teams that are dumping the ball into their center. Mm. So it's a little bit of a lost art. So to answer your question, I don't know if it translates with, with EJ. I think it's great that he can pass out of a double team, but I wouldn't say that just because he can do that, that he can become a distributor like a Draymond Green. Like I, I wouldn't uh, agree to that. Like I would need to see more of him. Uh, practice that action before I would say, yes, I'm comfortable saying he can do that. So Ohio state did run a lot of guard setting the pick on EJ and then him finding them and finding players on the cut. But let's be real. Most of the, his playmaking was from the post, but you definitely have seen him do other things. So I, I mean, like, I wouldn't say that he is a non-factor as a passer. He definitely has gotten Malachi Branham a lot of easy buckets for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So I, I, I see that that is a aspect that you can build upon. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed when watching uh, EJ and Malachi work that two-man game is EJ would set some big body screens for Malachi to get to his spots and uh, so he can use that crab dribble or use that pull-up for his own advantage. So I, I think that EJ is one of those guys that's just going to do his role as, you know, a rotation guy or as a, you know, a, a fifth starter if need be. Um, the offense is is pretty good if he can shoot. But I mean, I mean, offensively, I think outside of a pick and pop, there is a lot to be desired. I think he is making his money on the other end of the floor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The defense is absolutely positively where he shines. I mean, I mean, because the, the dribble is sketchy as, as shit and he likes to force, he can't shake by his man. So he forces up a, a lot of tough jump you, shots. Did you see any of him in the triple threat? There was a little bit, you know, if he's able to get into the face up, that's where he could live. Uh, especially if he's got a, a slower uh, player uh, on him. But, but right now I would say, the pick and pop is where I would want to see him get that, the expertise. And then we can work on other layers uh, of the game. Because like I said, he's going to be a solid player. I think you're right. I think he's very intelligent. You kind of have to be, to be at that level of player. Six, seven, seven, three blocks a game, even in college. Um, He needs to work on continuing to be an NBA three point shooter and, and an NBA just knockdown space space eater like you need to eat up your space like make make a defender uh be honest with you because if he's not then what are you doing out there what do you think about him as a a, as a vertical athlete and as an athlete in general this is the first time that i've ever written these words for a african-american athlete but he's sneaky athletic when you look at him, he's more, he's, he looks like more of a groundbound athlete, but then he gets some crazy chase down block. Cause he just like, he measures the steps and gets a chase down block. And you're like, how the hell did EJ Liddell just chase down block me? So Timing, what do you, what anticipation. Do you, 
I think that he has hops though too. I, I like I, he's, yeah, he's not groundbound. He can he can get up when need be. I mean, like the chase down and the help side blocks, like think about what the Trailblazers do as a defense. That would be humongously important if you know there there was 20 minutes of EJ Liddell and Yusuf Nurkic playing defense with one another. With our with our scheme being so high risk, high reward, we need somebody to do that help side block when Yusuf Nurkic inevitably gets blown by by a faster guard. To have EJ Liddell playing help side defense, that could be really super valuable to a to an NBA team. Like his defense is really high level in terms of his instincts, his help side defense, like. The fact that he's getting three blocks a game at six seven is pretty pretty amazing. Like the timing, the 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 skillfulness, you see a lot. And like when he gets when he got switched on to a legitimate guard, he didn't embarrass himself. He's he's pretty fleet of foot for he's being got a good guy. Yeah, he he's pretty fleet of foot for a guy that big and that strong. The NBA is all about attacking a weakness defensively. I don't think he's going to embarrass himself defending a guard that like, I mean, Kyrie is going to do that to everybody, but EJ Liddell is going to play some good defense on the perimeter on help side on those rare post-ups that happen. If you're not playing against Philadelphia or Denver, like what, what are you thinking about his defense? I mean, I think that's where he's, if he's going to be a first round pick, it's going to be on that, that end of the floor. Like he's, he's going to be someone that a coach can put in pretty early, even as a rookie and feel confident that the defense isn't going to, to suffer or, or wane, you know, when, whenever a coach plays a rookie, that's usually that end of the floor is where they struggle. It's like mm-hmm. they, they miscommunicate, they get backdoored. Uh, they don't stop ball in transition like that. That's where you always see the coach on the sideline pulling their hair out was because a young player fucks up on the defensive end of the mm-hmm. floor. No, this is where he is at his best. Like you said, the chase down blocks, the help side defense, uh, the switchability, the ability to guard pick and rolls. It just seems like he's like an air traffic controller out there. Um, it's interesting to see. I think the biggest question for me is like, is he going to be a strictly a small ball five? And that might be difficult at, at six, six seven, seven or or can he play some four? So like the NBA has just adapted and changed where Jason Tatum is now a power forward. Like in the 90s, he's a small forward and he's probably going up against Mark Bryant and Buck Williams players who aren't going to take him off the dribble. But now you've got Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum, hell, Paul George is predominantly a power forward right now. Like there's there's just these six ten freaks that are putting the ball on the floor. And I know you said that you know a guard may not embarrass him, but those guys can embarrass you too. And it's those but players, aren't they embarrassing ninety percent? They are. They, they they absolutely are. But you all will, you, you got to have someone with some size at, at least to make it tough. Like I know he's got a six eleven wingspan, but um, it's very rare to see an undersized defender really lock down taller players. I mean, th- there's a reason Draymond green is the name that everyone thinks about us because he's like one of like three people in history that have been able to do that. So it's going to be difficult for him at his size. If he can work on being a little bit more laterally quick, um, 
and I, I want to see more on ball defense um, from him because the help side's there. I mean, he can be a great defender. I think if he's in the right scheme, I think Liddell, if he goes to a team that knows how to play defense, like Toronto, mm-hmm. like Nick Nurse is just such a magician when it comes to defensive schemes. You go to a, a program like the Raptors or the Heat. Yeah, the Heat is would would fit like a glove. I would have no qualms with with EJ Liddell. I'm like, yeah, you're easily getting a second contract. Hmm. But if you go to a, a team like the Blazers, uh, I don't think he fit well here. We don't play defense, Sage. Like, look what we did with Robert Covington. We said, Robert Covington, you are great at playing free safety. Go lock down Giannis and also uh, make up for Damon CJ and just just do everything for us. No, no. Well, first of all, no player can do that. But but second of all, that's asking too much of him. That's not his strength. His strength isn't going to be to say, okay, we need you to to be a point of attack defender. No, he's he's a help side defender, an elite help side defender. So what about? I feel like he would help the team defense if he would, but, but I, I still feel like Portland as it's currently constructed, if they're going to trot out Damon Anthony as the starting guards, I mean, I've, nobody is going to make up for the exactly. Defense. That's why I don't think it's a great fit for, for Portland because you're, and we don't have that, that, that pick that all important <laughs> second, first round. Pick. Yeah. You're, you're setting yourself up for, for failure um, by, I mean, Portland, I mean, the Blazers need need to do so many other things that they're doing now. If they go Dame, Josh Hart, you get maybe get like Nasir, then you're starting to become more well-balanced. And then I could see that happening. But if you're going to go out and, and put out two undersized guards who don't, don't play care. defense, yeah. it, it's, it's just not going to work. I mean, you need three elite-level defenders to, to even be respectable. So that's why I, I like the Miami. I like the Toronto. Like if he can, a golden state, like if he can go there and find one of those landing spots for a team that plays with size, plays with balance, has a great scheme, multiple defensive schemes. Um, he is really going to flourish. Like San Antonio would be also a great. I feel like spot. San Antonio is going to take him in one of those two twenties. Can you with Dejounte? I mean, Keldon plays good D. Yaka Pertle plays good D. That that system in, in San Antonio. Pop um, would love his. One thing you you mentioned that you didn't see enough uh, on ball reps. So I, I I took the time and watched the Duke Ohio State game, and it EJ's one on one defense on Paulo, like. I th- it was one of the few games where I was like, oh, Paulo's Paulo's having a difficult time against a guy like EJ. And that's a big time matchup. Paulo yeah. Bencaro is going to be a top three draft pick. He tried to do his post thing and got just stonewalled four times in a row. And then he just became a perimeter shooter. And like when, when you can get an elite guy like Paulo, who how there aren't that many guys that are built like Paulo with the moves like Paulo in the league. If you can if you can frustrate that guy you're going to frustrate like 80% of potential power forwards. And and if he can do that and is able to play four, that really enhances his value. I think if his on ball reaches the level of his off ball, you're, you're going to be looking at a player that despite whatever he does on the offensive end of the floor, teams probably should have taken him in the top 10. I mean, let's be real. The defense could be, that good. So is he one of the guys that you would bet your 20 good players on 
in the draft class. I think there's more than 20 good players in this draft. I, I like this draft. But I mean, class. like out of the average, you know, 20 is going to stick. Is it, Would you put money on EJ Liddell to stick and get that second contract? Yeah, I think he'll easily get a second contract. Again, I think he's probably uh, a really high-level reserve, um, maybe a fifth starter. Um, I mean, you need to have 48 minutes of competent basketball. Like, that's one of the main things. Over that 82 games a year. What's up? Over 82 games a year. Yeah. Players get hurt. Uh, you know, players COVID, get in foul trouble. COVID is still a thing, bro. So yeah. you need to have you need to have competent basketball players. Like, I feel like Neil Shea just looked at the five, and that's good enough. But what he probably should have looked at was that bench because we only had a good bench once. And then we went to the Western Conference Finals because of that good bench. So to have like if EJ Liddell is the seventh or eighth man on your roster, you're doing pretty well with your reserves. Like I I believe in him. Uh, What is your uh, what's your low end outcome for EJ Liddell? When I saw him and I saw the undersized, I immediately went to Chuck Hayes from the Houston. I like that. I like that a lot. I remember distinctly that trio of forwards in Houston in 2009 giving Portland fits. It was Louis Scola, it was Carl Landry, and it was Chuck Hayes. Chuck Hayes was the best defender of the bunch, primarily on ball, but he was undersized, he was tough as shit, and he didn't give up any ground, didn't foul, uh, completely took a taller LaMarcus Aldridge uh, out of the game just was a, a fantastic defender. Um, now, Chuck Hayes couldn't shoot to save uh, to save the Rockets, but if EJ Liddell is able to get a jump shot, he clearly, I think, goes over that, that, that floor. But if the jump shot doesn't really ever materialize, I think he can still fall back on the defense. So that, that's where my mind went with the, the Chuck Hayes. I like that a lot. Do you, you do believe in the shot? Like he's a 37% three point shooter. Like, do you believe that it's going to be league average? I see a lot of uh, Dyson Daniels in the shot where he wasn't a, he came up short quite a bit. So I think he's going to need to do the same type of work that, that Dyson's going to have to do where it's like, okay, this is the type of momentum you need to, to gather as you're going into your shot. Uh, it should translate, but, but I've, I've stranger things have, have happened. Absolutely. I mean, to go from 18% last year to 37%, that's a really big, that's a humongous improvement. And shout out to him for taking what the scouts said about his game and translating it to uh, to uh, the actual on court. You know who I kind of think of him? His bottom end is Keita Bates-Diop. He's on the Spurs now. He was on the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. A guy that came off the bench, made Ohio State. Yep, made some threes, played some defense, was a good eighth man on a roster. Like I I watched him this year; he still can lock people up. I mean, Pop loves him, so I mean, maybe maybe EJ Liddell takes the spot. But I, I mean, like I I see an eighth man on a roster that if he shoots is that that's a lot of uh, icing on the cake of a very good player. My middle of the road, and I focused more on the pick and pop for this one and the undersized four. But this is a player that played, I think, eight to ten years in the league. Dante Cunningham. I had PJ Washington. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dante. I I feel like you and I are very equipped to talk about Dante Cunningham being a a very good 
defender that at one point in time was a good shooter. Yeah. He was, he was good, great in Portland and knew his role. Like, again, he kept getting contract after contract. Like, he was just a solid player. Uh, where do you have EJ Liddell, EJ Liddell topping out at? I see Paul Mill. I mean, like, the archetype of an undersized guy that plays defense, rebounds, and shoots threes, isn't that Paul Millsap? Isn't that do you his... think Paul Millsap can chase down block like that? Maybe when he was younger, sure as hell isn't in I Philly. Don't know. I th- yeah, okay. I saw the Paul Millsap comparison too. Um, I think if he becomes the knockdown shooter, um, he 99 percentile, I think, is uh prime Robert Covington. Is there some Jay Crowder to his game too? Maybe EJ's more of the post version of Jay, where Jay prime Jay was more of a perimeter centric guy. Yeah. But couldn't you see that as a uh, an outcome, like a 75th percentile outcome, if he's just hitting threes and playing his good defense? Do you think there's a Jay Crowder outcome there somewhere? A six seven version, yeah. How tall is Jay? I think Jay's six nine. Holy shit! Because I, I kind of thought they were the same size, but like, you know, that production, like, Jay's been on. Oh, fire. I am. I am really wrong. How tall is he? So I am looking at basketball reference. I believe their statistics. Six six. I thought he was six nine. Huh. So isn't that comp a little bit more realistic since the size difference isn't that much? Yeah. I mean, shit. If you can find a Jay Crowder in the late first round, there's gonna be a team that's like you're looking at them and like. Damn, they got him at pick 18 or that's all, all Jay Crowder does in offense is, is catch and shoot. You don't want him doing anything else. And, and I, I think that's going to be the case with, with EJ Liddell. What are some teams did oh yeah, we already talked about the Heat and the uh the uh, Raptors. Raptors. I, I think um the Spurs and the Warriors are, are really good teams. Clearly so, the Phoenix Suns already have a, a bunch of EJ Liddell type players and they're doing just fine. So who's higher on your personal board, Malachi or EJ? Um, it just depends on where you, I haven't gotten that far yet. It's more of a preference. Do you want to take an upside? Do you need a shooting guard? Do you, are you willing to put in two to three extra years? Cause I think the ceiling of Malachi is much higher, but I think the floor is much higher for, for EJ Liddell. And so are you a playoff contending team that is looking for that? If you do need a defender off of the bench, like it just, I think at that point it becomes down to what do you need? What, what do you uh, desire more for your roster? So, so they're definitely on the same tier as prospects. Yes. I feel like, I, I feel like EJ could be on most teams. Like he could be a good player on a rebuilding team and then he can be a good player on a competing team. I feel like EJ because of that safe floor can make an impact on almost every team that he's on. He's he's turned himself into a legitimate, like he was a second round guy this year. If you looked at like mocks, like he was at 55 or 48, like now he's 18, 15. Like if, if a team sees, if like a, a competing team sees him at 16, I would not be shocked for him to go to at 16. You have anything else you want to talk about with these Ohio State Buckeyes? I think, uh, no, I think we about wrap it up uh, with the last Friday of 
no, there's two Fridays left in April, but, but next Friday we will be doing a, um, no, I'm, I'm sorry. My, my mouth is, this, this will come out next Friday. This will come so, out on the 22nd. Yes. The final Friday of the month, we will have our April mock draft. So we will do another lottery mock draft. Portland will just have one pick. I think this time we will mock with Portland at six for this time. We'll okay. uh, do a little bit of a curveball. Last time we used a tankathon. This time we'll keep Portland at six and get a little bit different outcome and see how that changes things, especially with just having one pick. Uh, but be on the lookout for that. And then we will also have a few second round gems that, that we feel like you should keep an eye on Portland with two second round picks, including pick 36. And then once the lottery on May 17th takes, takes place, we will have our post lottery uh, mock draft as well. All right, everybody. We will talk to you later. Peace out.